Hey, one of the great things about getting to come and be with you on Tuesday night is that we can hear from some of our own. And I think testimony is so powerful. So I've, uh, I've asked Blake here, Blake Ferguson, to let me interview him for just a few minutes as we set the night up. Because tonight is, uh, is one of those nights, it's on people-pleasing and our identity being found in people. And you helped me last week figure out exactly where to steer this ship as we did a little, a little stand-up, sit-down survey on what we struggle to find our identity in most people, places, or things. And like the majority of you were like, people, I struggle maintaining my identity in Christ because of people. And so I just wanted you to hear a few minutes from Blake tonight as we set this up with this idea from Proverbs 29, 25, that fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So Blake, real quick, how long have you gone to Christ's covenant? So uh, my parents joined in 2018. I was in college. Um, I became a member in 2020. So just actually just before COVID. So. Uh, the good old days. <laughs> the good old days yeah, back I remember that. Sutton Middle School. Oh, back in Sutton. Okay, cool. So you've seen things change a little bit. Well, let's just start with the basics. At what point in your life did you, would, would you say, this is when I became a Christian. I placed my faith in Christ. What, tell us a little bit about that. So I gave my life to Christ when I was eight years old. I was, I grew up in Alpharetta, um, First Baptist Alpharetta. I was, um, I was dedicated to the church as a, as a baby. Got a couple FC, FPCA people in here that I've actually talked to tonight. But um, gave my life to Christ when I was eight. And really at the time, I, I didn't know what that meant. Um, I just knew that Jesus had died for my sins and I was going to follow him. And at eight years old, that really doesn't mean a whole lot. You like, don't have a whole lot of deep sin to have, repent over. Yeah, not a whole lot eight. of yeah. uh, struggle or anxiety or really any kind of adversity at the time other other than like what kind of goldfish you're going to eat on like at school or something. I don't, lunch I don't really trades know. are a big deal. Yeah, or like uh, maybe where you're going to sit at the like the lunch table. That That's, was big too. That was a big thing. You're bringing thing, back some hurt, but like, go ahead. Like middle school? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> middle, I don't want to talk about middle school. I blocked it out emotionally. <laughs> so you came to Christ at eight. Anybody else here like Came to Christ when you were really young, like sub-middle school-ish, like elementary school. Yeah. All right. So you got some fellow, like, early come to Christ people here. So what, so the next few years, did any, was anything transformational in the next few years? I think, I think that's only natural. I think that um, as you grow older and, and um, you start going through different things in your life, there are challenges, there are um, bumps, hiccups along the way. Um, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was in eighth grade, and that was like a moment where my life changed forever, and I was like, I, I don't know what this means, but Lord, I, like, all I have is you, like, that's, and, yeah. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you through that, um, and, and he, he was faithful to carry me through, um, and I mean, I, I just was in a, I was in a low place at that point in my life, like I, there were, there were a lot of goals and aspirations, which we'll get into momentarily. Um, but I, I didn't know like what my future held because of that. Um, but the Lord has been faithful and the Lord has been good to me. How, how tall are you? Six, three. We have to stand. Six, five, maybe in boots. We have to stand on two different, 
uh, sides of the stage here. When I stand up real straight, I'm 6'4". Yeah. Real straight. I like sometimes you stand down on the floor and like get on the get on the level with the yeah. with the rest of the crowd. Watch like, this. Yeah. You like that? This is I what mean, Jason. I can this get is, down there and you can get up this here is, if you this, want. Is, this is what Jason does. He's like, yeah. He did that Sunday. Thing. Yeah. And another thing. He's like back there. He's like back there <laughs> yeah. talking at the coffee. He's back there. He's pouring <laughs> yeah. coffee and yeah. talking. Yeah. That's what Jason. Just get does. real casual. Um, I'm like, you can tell what kind of dancer I am. I stay yeah. home. Yes. I stay home. Yeah. yeah. So this is home. you're, you're, this you're is home. like, yes, you're, you're a small man, 6'3". How much do you weigh? 240. 240. That's what I'm talking about. So it's, so with your diabetes, with your diabetes, it probably limited you physically. Yeah. It yeah. Did. So what do you do for work? So I, I'm a professional football player. Okay. Um, That's right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, it did not limit him physically. So Blake, Blake played. Can you do, can you do an, an impersonation of your college coach and just see if anybody can? Oh, jeez. Here? Yeah. <laughs> Go Tigers. <laughs> yes, Blake. Blake played for. For Coach O, like the original Cajun, and yeah. if you don't know that, go look up Coach O. And one of the first things you see when you look up LSU head coach, which he's not the head coach now, when you look up LSU head coach, it says voice. Yeah. Like he, he's the true Cajun. So you play college ball for a little bit, um, and then you, you, you're down in Miami now. But yeah. tell us, in light of this whole idea of like not a ton of adversity growing up, you did have that moment where you have to figure out your health things, but still... Tell us about this whole world coupled with this pressure to have your identity in pleasing folks versus pleasing God. Just give us a little bit of breakdown with that. Um, I, I, think, I think the first thing is that the nature of what I do is subject to criticism from every single person that watches me, whether it's um, a fan watching on TV or a coach or... Um, Whatever it is, I, the job that I do, I wouldn't have if people weren't watching me and criticizing what I do. And what's, what's your sense? position? Yeah. So uh, I play long snapper. And so if, for those of you who don't know what that means, uh, when we punt or kick a field goal, I'm the one throwing the ball through my legs. You've probably seen more of my butt on TV than, <laughs> than yeah. like me actually like doing something cool. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but as a football player from very young age all the way up to the highest level, you're subject to all kinds of criticism and, and, and you want to perform, you want to do well, you want to make your coach happy, you want to make the fans happy. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's easy to get into the, like, pull out my phone and search my name on Twitter and make sure, like, nobody's talking bad about me on Twitter or, or um, you know, I, I have a Same. really demanding... Yeah. <laughs> Same. I have a really demanding coach who is not a very nice person, and uh, but I still want to I still want to perform and do well in hopes that he will pat me on the back and say, "Hey, you had a really good game today." Um, and, and so that I, th I think is an easy temptation to fall into just by the nature of what I do. But I I don't feel like that that's really any different from what anybody else in this room does. I don't feel like that. Um, John Robert, who works at Truist, I don't feel like John Robert has a different kind of outlook on pleasing his boss and having a, a solid performance review than I would by having my coach say, hey, 
you had a really good game. We're watching, you know, we're watching film on Monday after our Sunday game, and he says, hey, that was a, that was a nice play you made. I saw you, you know, made that tackle or whatever it is. It, it's not any different. So I, I feel like that there's, that temptation is very real. Um, I was here that Tuesday night where everybody raised their hand or stood up for, yeah. you want to be a people pleaser? Like, that's, that's a real thing. So have you, you've got to have some sort of, like, benchmark verse or passage that you go to. It's probably Philippians 4.13, being a <laughs> pro football player. I put it on my uh, You put my, it right there? Black. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, um, yeah, do you, I mean, but really, like, uh, do you have some sort of go-to that just helps you remember, I really have an audience of one. Yeah. It's not these people. I've got an audience of one. Yeah, I, I will say that um, first it's about knowing who you are in Christ before you find out who you are as an athlete. Like, I'm a child of God before I ever step foot on a football field. I'm a child of God before I ever walk into an office building to be an accountant. I'm a child of God before I ever um, sell makeup on Instagram. Like, it doesn't matter what you do. I didn't it's see about, that one. I didn't see that pick. It's about, I, like, I, you I don't nurse. sell makeup, yeah. but I mean, I, I can't play football forever, so. Um, no, so. But I think that that's an important thing to remember is that you're a, you're a Christ follower and you're a, you're a child of the king before you are your occupation. And football is a dark place. Like it is a, it is a very dark um, materialistic environment and it's easy to put your identity in being a football player. You walk, you know, you go to a restaurant in Miami and they're like, oh, those guys are those guys are Dolphins players. And they want to take a picture with you, and it's like that. That's an easy thing to like build yourself up and 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 create as like an identity. Mm-hmm. But it's about knowing who you are. And so um, there is a verse that I keep. Um, it's actually the background on my phone right now because that way I can't lose it. I like so, that. So um, it's First Corinthians nine twenty four and twenty five, and it says, "Do you not know?" that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Verse 25 says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And how many, how many of you have heard verse 24 where it talks about run in such a way that you will win? A bunch of you. But I think that the key to those two verses is verse 25 where it talks about Athletes run to win a Lombardi trophy yeah. that won't go with you to heaven one day. When you are in a hearse at your funeral, they're not like that doesn't go with you. And that's a that's a that's a reminder that I have to constantly tell myself is that it's not about what I do on a football field. It's not about what you do when you go to work on a Monday morning. It's about the impact that you had on your coworker, on your teammate, in the locker room, and the intentional conversations that you had, and the opportunity that you have to be a light in whatever mission field that you're in. And that's something that I, I have struggled with that. Like, it, it's, it's, it's easy. And um, it's, I've, I've been fortunate to have people around me within the football realm that have been really positive influences on me in a, in a godly way that have kind of been my, um, 
the like when you when you bowl like the bumpers um i yeah. i use those every time yeah like, that's that makes me feel better yeah that's good I, I, why wouldn't you use them that's true anyway that, sorry um they've they've been those sort of guardrails for me and uh and so that's that's the verse that i keep coming back to i'm i'm running in such a way that i will win to please the father not please my really demanding coach or not please the people on Twitter who really, really don't like me. I, I think one of the ways that we can tell if you've interacted with, with Blake over the last few months while he's been home, um, and I didn't know Blake before he came home. I know your dad is an elder, and he said, hey, why don't you connect with Blake when he comes back? And so I just sent you a text, and I kind of had my, I was like, well, he's an athlete. I don't know if he'll want to hang and when I met you, I was like, I mean, I, it was my mistake. Um, when I, yeah, I mean, come on, that's right. Well, when I met you, like, we, it wasn't, hey, I'm Blake, I'm a football player. It was just, I'm Blake. Um, and I, you know, from around here, and uh, it just exemplified this whole idea of, like, I'm not what I do. And I'm not who I'm around. I am first and foremost a child of the king, and he's given me this moment in time to do this thing, and so I'm going to use it for him. And in a few years, when you're not doing that thing, you'll be doing something else, and you'll be doing it for him. And I just think that that's a real encouragement for us, because whoever, the, this, the fear of people, being a people pleaser, it really is a trap, and it will eat your lunch. But... When we trust in the Lord, I love how Proverbs 25, 20, or 29, 25 says, it is the safe place. And I think what we're hearing from your testimony is you found the safe place. Let me, you, you head back tomorrow? Yep. Man. I was supposed to leave yesterday. Wanted to stick around for another Tuesday night. What a guy. I love this guy. Um, well, let, let me pray for you before you head back off and, uh, and you've got that, that influence with those fellows who probably don't have a ton of gospel influence. So let me pray. Lord, I thank you for Blake. I thank you for the guys that he's going to be around um, during this spring training. And I just ask that you would give him favor with the coaches, favor with the other players. And Lord, we ask that some of those guys this year would come to know you. And Lord, that they genuinely would give their life to you and they would, they would just feel so burdened trying to please all the people and make the name for themselves, Lord, that they are just exhausted emotionally. And Lord, may they be able to hear about Jesus and the good news that he brings and the freedom that he brings. And let Blake be used for that, Lord. And, uh, and we just lift up the churches down in Miami, Father. We just ask that there would be some great um, Bible-centered, Jesus-centered churches that these guys can go to. So we lift all this up in Christ's name, Father. Amen. Man, thanks, buddy. Let's hear it for Blake. So I, I want to just, I'm going to run through a bunch of stuff tonight on pleasing people. We're going to be mainly in Galatians. So if you want to go ahead and turn to the book of Galatians. Uh, however, when you talk about people pleasing, uh, there's a reason that there are books written about this. This is not a one-off. This is not something you can, you can knock out in 30 minutes and say, okay, we've got it all covered. So when we're done, um, 
we will we'll have a couple of recommendations for you. One of them is our very own Lou Priolo, who's our biblical counselor, um, one of our biblical counselors, the main one on staff. Lou has written a book um, called Pleasing People, and you can actually go to Audible and you can get it for, I mean, I'm sure there's other apps, but I got it on Audible. Um, it was done in 2021. It was, uh, it was read out, and so you can listen to it while you're riding around. Uh, there's lots of great resources on this whole idea of people-pleasing and the world that we live in. So let's just take a look. I, I, wanna, I want you to see the story of Paul, the transformation of a people-pleaser. Paul is not always known as a people-pleaser, but he's going to give a little bit of his background in the opening part of the book of Galatians. And you're going to see that before he became Paul the apostle, who wrote 13 of the New Testament books, who God used to move the church all over the globe, before he was that guy, he really was wrapped up in being a people pleaser. And so let's take a look in, uh, in Galatians 1, 10 through 14. Let me read it to you. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I'm going to pause right there before we go to the next set of verses. I want you to look. It's really important to see the words in the verse. He says, after the question mark of God or of, of man or of God, then he goes on and he says, am I trying to please man, question mark. One more time, he says, if I were still trying to please man. What Paul is alluding to there is what he's about to tell us. He says, still, meaning I used to. So you're in good company. If there is a parent, if there is a boyfriend, if there's a girlfriend, if there's a roommate, if there's a boss, if there's somebody in your life that is like really gotten in your head and you're really trying to figure out like, how do I not live my life in order to make them happy? Just know you're in really good company. A guy who wrote a chunk of the New Testament through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was also in that same boat. He says here, I was, I was a people pleaser. Am I still trying to please man? So let's look at verse 11 here. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former life. Here he goes. He's going to talk about how he was a people pleaser. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Verse 14, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. I'm going to keep reading the rest of this section. Verse 15, but... When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were, to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So here's what I want to do. There's, when you first read this, if you're not careful, you'll just see it as an intro to a letter. But what we really see here is an incredible transformation of a guy who was a people pleaser. And then we see these multiple movements of how God transformed him. And so I want to try to break those down for you. 
Here's, here's a few signs that you might be a people pleaser, and I'm taking this straight from Paul in verses 11 through 14. Paul was violently attacking the church of God. One of the signs of a people pleaser is that they attack the logic of God. Because God's always trying to set us on his course. And if I'm trying to please people, I am no longer on his course. I'm on my own course. And so when confronted with the word of God, I become an attacker of the word of God. So the word literally becomes flesh. Jesus, he dwells among us. He lives, he breathes, he dies, he is risen again. The church is born. And Paul begins to persecute the church because it went against the people he was trying to please, those Pharisees among whom he was chief. And so he says, I violently persecuted the church. Another sign of a person who pleases God, and this sounds like a little bit nuanced, but he says in here he violently opposed them. A person who is a people pleaser long enough will develop erratic behavior, and it will even manifest in the form of violence. Meaning, they'll go to crazy extremes to, to protect their reputation in the eyes of others. You can, you can picture this because you know some world leaders that are, that are floating around in current day and time and also in the past. They went to crazy violent measures in order to protect their reputation so that others would fear and follow and like them. So he says here, in my former life in Judaism, I persecuted the church of God violently and I tried to destroy it. And why does he do all this? Verse 14, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. What does that tell us? Paul was big into the comparison game and not just the comparison game, but the comparison game of his peers, it's no fun to play the comparison game of somebody who's like just starting if you're like a 10-year veteran. And it's no fun to play the comparison game of somebody who's like 10 years further along with you. The comparison game is most fun when it's played with people that are your own age. Surely you can find some losers, right? Like you're like, well, I'm way better than them. I'm way better than them. Paul was playing the comparison game among his peers. That is another sign of being a people pleaser. When you're continually looking around and finding out who you've got a leg up on, who has a leg up on you, and how you can usurp them and their position. That's clearly what Paul is saying in verse 14. He was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his own age. Well, how does he know that? Well, people I'm sure were telling him, and he liked that. And so he looked around. One of the signs of a people pleaser is the comparison of peers. Another one is a passion for collecting trophies. He was so extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers. He knew, man, the more accolades, the more awards I can get, the more important I'll feel and the more people will invite me to their events to be the Judaizer speaker. And so quick review, if your life exhibits an attack on God's word, if it has gotten to the point of violently protecting your reputation, a comparison of your peers, a passion for winning, collecting trophies, then you definitely would fit into the people-pleasing mold. So we have to ask, well, what did Jesus do for Paul to free him from this people-pleasing? And he tells us right here, that's why introductions are so important, this is like, a book within a book. So let's look at verses 15 through 17. One of the things that Jesus does 
is for people pleasers, when he saves us, he doesn't just forgive us of our sin, he frees us from the need of the approval of others. Hear me on this, this is so important. Jesus not only forgives your sins when you come to Christ, but one of the key things that he offers is you no longer have to decide, do I measure up? He tells you right out of the gate, you weren't enough, you'll never be enough, and I love you just like you are. It is a beautiful component of the gospel. He frees us from the need of approval of others. Verses 15 through 17. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone for the first time in his life. For the first time in his adult life, he was like, I don't need their permission. I don't need their approval. I wonder if it surprised Paul when he came to Christ that he also was like, what? I don't even have to ask these other people for like their opinions and approval. Like, I'm good in God. I imagine that was a surprising moment in his salvation story. He struck blind on the road to Damascus. He goes to a man's house. The scales fall off of his eyes. The man tells him the good news. The guy, Paul, comes to Christ. And I wonder if one of the things that surprised him after that was not just the relief of guilt and the, uh, the unbelievable gift of forgiveness for persecuting the church, but all of a sudden this freedom of it doesn't matter what they think. All that matters is what God thinks. And God thought I was worthy to save even though I was very unworthy. Because of his goodness, he brought me to life. This is unbelievable. What a freeing moment. Another thing that Jesus does for people pleasers is he tells us what the purpose of human counsel is. One of the great things about about our age, our modern age, is that we get counsel all the time. We get counsel on the internet nonstop. We get counsel from friends. We get counsel from influencers. Blake's going to be one of those with makeup one day. Like we, uh, you know, we get, we get all kinds of counsel on, on what we ought to do and how we ought to be and how we ought to look and all these kinds of things. Paul starts to understand, oh, no, God did design counsel. But he designed counsel so that I can clearly see the way that God wants me to walk. That's how he designed it. So look at Galatians 2.2. Paul is now going to seek counsel. I'll read verse 1 as well. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of the revelation and set before, the revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. So Paul's going to go before these people and he's going to seek counsel to make sure he's staying on track with the things of God. Not to get their approval, like, do you like my new method? Do you like her this or that? But like, do you think this is where God is moving? There's something really powerful when you start to seek counsel wisely and correctly. And Paul began to understand what the purpose of counsel was. It wasn't for his affirmation. They could have told him, no, Paul, you're doing it wrong. And he would be like, good, that's what I came here for. 
He was seeking counsel, and if they said, hey, you're not doing the right thing, then great, he would have adjusted. If they said, hey, you're doing the right thing, he was like, okay, good, I thought I was doing the right thing. But he's seeking counsel without his own opinion to interject. And he sought counsel from a few select people. Now, what about the people who don't agree with Paul? And there's going to be people who don't agree with Paul. When you have a freedom from people-pleasing, you're able to see much more clearly and think much more clearly about people that are in opposition from you. Let me read you these verses. Galatians 2, uh, 4 through 5. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom, it's a beautiful thing, they, they spied out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now, people pleasers have a really, really hard time when they find someone in opposition to them. They wonder, should I bend? Should I form? Should I conform? Should I do this? Should I do that? Like, how do I adjust? How Can I win them over? And if I can't win them over, I'm just going to bulldoze them. People pleasers have a real hard time when someone is in opposition to them. People pleasers are listening for someone to say, you're doing great. You're doing great. I saw what you did. You're doing great. Like, people pleasers love that. It just looks like they stand taller, they smile, and they and it's like, it's like watering a plant. Like it lasts for a little while and then they need some more water. And that water is the approval of others. And so when someone comes in and they disapprove, a people pleaser has a really hard time understanding it. But if the Lord has won you over and he is your audience of one, when you get someone and you are on the path for the Lord, you have someone who comes in and opposes you you can see really, really clearly where they're accurate and where they're not accurate. There's, there's a guy who, um, uh, in fact, maybe his son, a couple of his sons might be here. Um, Ken Kington was, is a friend of mine. He, he's a, a Christian comedian, did a bunch of Bible studies. And uh, I used to go hear him when I was like early 20s and I loved hearing Ken. But Ken used to say, when you get criticism, and Ken was not a people pleaser. He had been freed from that. But he used to say, Thomas, when you get criticism, always consider the source and always look for any truth in their message. And that was one of the most freeing things I could hear. I was like, ooh, just because they're hypercritical or they don't like me or they don't like what I'm doing, is there any truth I can learn from them? And Paul considered the source and he was like, these guys are scoundrels. What a great word. We don't use that word enough. These, these guys are scoundrels. I challenge you to use that at one point in time the rest of this week. Just one time the rest of this week. Try to get that word in. Um, you know, uh, so anyway, I was going to say something else, but I stopped myself. Good job. All right. So, uh, but... I think Paul considers the source here. He realizes these are bad guys. But I think he was listening to their message. He clearly listened to their message because he says, after considering their message, I realized they were trying to take away our freedom in Christ. So he considered the source and he looked for any truth in it. And he said, in this case, I can toss both out. What great freedom to walk in. He is on a mission for the Lord. He has people that like him, and he has people that are against him, and he seems to be unimpeded in his stride. 
There is incredible freedom that this man is exhibiting, even in the opening of this letter. Lastly, or next to last, people of influence are seen not as day, but they are seen as imago day. And therefore, we can consider what they have to say in sobriety. People pleasers love to name drop. They love like who they just hung out with. Now, this sounds a little bit um, a little bit contrived because I just had like a professional athlete up here. Uh, and I knew that when I started this, I was like, this is going to be bad. But, but Blake and I are buddies and like most of you have hung out with him and you didn't even know what he did because he's just not your standard like pro athlete guy. But I mean, he's better than your standard pro athlete guy. Not that I know a lot. Um, but I think this whole idea is really, really powerful here. Like, it's, it's easy to see if you're a people pleaser, if you see someone, your boss, walking down the hall, a people pleaser has a really hard time saying, that person is Imago Dei. They are made in the image of God. And I am made in the image of God. And he and she, all of us are made in the image of God. We are people but a people pleaser, when they see someone of great importance, sometimes just sees the day and not the Imago day. They see a God-type figure. And so when they speak to you, their words have great effect. If they're positive words, great effect. If they're negative words, great effect. But Paul was able to see all people as people. And he tried to size people up. Do they know the Lord or do they not? Look at verses 6 through 10 here. He says, and those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. I love that. If you are struggling as a people pleaser, you need to underline that verse and just be like, that's the one going on my mirror and like on my dash, not too like maybe not on your dash, don't wreck. But like it needs to be like prevalent for you because I love this because Paul's not saying uh, they don't make any difference. Paul's saying people are people. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me because God shows no partiality. Nobody's gonna get to heaven going, yeah, but I was famous. Like you can just imagine the Lord would be like, do you, do you know who you're talking to? Like, I remember when you were just like a thing I put in my closet that I was going to make one day. Like a little, a little DNA outline of you. Like, I, I breathe life into you. Do, you. do you have any idea who you're talking to? He's not partial to people. Naked you came from your mother's womb and naked you will return. He has created death, which is the great equalizer. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw, I'm in verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, for, his, for he who worked through, through Peter for the apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me 
for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. People of influence are seen as a mago day, not the day. They're seen as the image of God, not God. And you're able to talk to the people of influence as though they're people. And if you can do that, you have just cut through tons and tons of bull that they hear all day long that's just feeding them and their egos so that they're puffed up and they're like feeling super powerful. And if you can address them respectfully but as people, you're on a different trajectory, and people remember that. They remember that they felt honored, but like a person, not a demigod. Who can live up to that anyway? But here's the bottom line. The thing that God ultimately frees us from when he not only forgives our sin, but forgives us of people-pleasing this is what he does, and it's so beautiful. When you're a people pleaser, all you're doing is looking around all day long. Your head is on this swivel, and you're like, okay, do they like me? Okay, they're mad. Okay, i got to fix this. Okay, what about this? Ooh, there's a new person to try to influence or win to my team. Like, you're just moving all day long. And the Lord teaches us to stop looking around, and he teaches us to look up. And the dizziness goes away, and... The peace, we had this little, we had our little mini small group outside tonight, our week two of two of our foundations for some of you folks that have been wanting to get into a small group. We had two weeks of it and now we're ready to like pump folks out into small groups and it's gonna be amazing. But one of the ladies out there, we were going through some verses and she said, you know, one of the greatest things about, um, about knowing Christ is the peace that he gives. Looking left and right for the approval of others only gives anxiety. Looking up to the audience of one who gives that prize that is imperishable, like Blake read in 1 Corinthians 9 a minute ago, that is steadying. That is life-giving. And you don't have to win his approval. He's already shown it to you by sending his son to die for you. And that's why I think Paul concludes this chapter the next to last verse with some of the most famous lines, at least in this book, partly in the New Testament though, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Listen to that. The life I live in the flesh, I live in the flesh, you live in the flesh, we all in this room, as long as we are breathing, we are living in the flesh. Paul says the life that he lived in the flesh, I love this. He lives by faith in the Son of God, not approval by other people. And he goes on and he says, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You do realize like you're replaceable, right? The people that you're like really working to please and the people you're really working to honor, 
I was talking with my mom this afternoon, and she's still working. She's going to retire um, later on this year, at the end of this year. And, uh, and she, she went back to school when she was like 50, like never went to college, went to school when she was like 50, got like a couple of degrees, worked her way up the ladder, did all the stuff, kind of the American success story. And, uh, and now she's like the second in command at this company. And, uh, and so she told them all, she's like, I'm going to retire at the end of this year. And they were like, oh, no, you can't leave us. It's going to be so hard for us, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, deuces, I'm out. And like, she was like, you know, you'll. and then today well, I, when, I was, when I was leaving, she said, but you know what? They'll replace me and they won't miss a beat. It is 100% true. If I left Christ's covenant today, like somebody else, probably better so that I can't leave. Um, I'm just kidding. It's like somebody else would be here and the show would go on. The gospel would be taught. The Bible would be open. You would worship. Like community would, would thrive. Like so why spend my life trying to gain everybody else's approval? If you left that person who you're really trying to earn their approval, especially if it's like a boss or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, like they will replace you. But the Lord does not have it in his heart to replace you if you're his. He has covenanted with you. He loves you. He longs for you to look to him for your worth and value and approval. And then you can discern how to deal with all the other folks. So what's the, what's the, the fallout for people pleasing? I think I have like three sermons worth of material here. Don't worry, I'm not going to give them all. Uh, you're not going to be here till, till 10 p.m. or anything. But I want to just give you a couple of, of fallouts that happen with people pleasing. One is in the church is gospel confusion. I did a wedding this past weekend. I did two weddings this past weekend. I did one on Friday and one on Saturday. The one on Saturday, I was like just a hair late for, but if I'm doing your wedding, I'll be on time. Um, and so I, like I've never done that before, but it, the wedding was 5.30. At 5.32, I rolled in and uh, I was like, I mean like, like I was coming in hot. The, 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 this other minister met me in the parking lot with a microphone. I put the microphone on. I walked in, and I met the wedding coordinator, and she said, hey, I'm so-and-so, wedding coordinator. It's good to meet you. We're going now. And I started walking down the aisle pretty much right after that. Um, but anyway, it was a sweet wedding. That wedding was in a church, and I'll leave all of the details of this out just to protect the parties involved. But that wedding was at a church that at one point in time was a thriving gospel-centered church. But somewhere along the way, that entire denomination began to feel like, we feel like we're losing ground with culture. And so how, how do we, like, how do, how do we get more people to come? And they shifted from a God-centered view to a man-centric view. And they began to say, well, if you're, if you're homosexual, you can be a minister. If you are, uh, you know, it doesn't, matter your, it doesn't matter your identity. It doesn't matter anything. You come in, like, you're all welcome here. And, like, there's really, there's really not much sin going on. There's really not much need for the gospel going on. Like, what, what we want to do is be, like, real community-oriented. And, and, like, that will get more people in. And you know what's happened to that denomination since that day occurred? There was not this robust growth that happened in that denomination. There was a mass exodus 
And the place has gone, to hill, gone downhill ever since. What does it say in Proverbs 29, 25? The fear of man is a snare. And they fell for it. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So there's denominational orthodoxy collapse. I'll tell you another thing that happens when what some of the fallout from people pleasing. There is moral confusion in your own life. And I have experienced this in my life. Do you know how many people have lost their virginity out of people pleasing? And I'm not talking about people that have never heard the gospel. I'm talking about people that like are saved and baptized and like have quiet times and stuff. So many folks have lost their virginity because they turned into, and I'm talking outside of marriage, not like in marriage, that's different. That's the right place to lose it. Um, and so turn that card in. Uh, and so like, but, <laughs> sorry, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't plan on that. Okay, anyway, um, this is not a relationship talk. All right. We needed a little bit of levity, though, in that moment. But there, there have been so many moral compromises in dating relationships because they were like, I just got to make him happy. I just got to keep him around, or I've just got to keep her around. And there was no longer a, a looking upward. There was a looking left and right. How do I make them happy? And it became a snare. It did not become the safety that people hoped it would. Unnecessary relationship grief. Think about families when you're trying to please everybody in your family, you're trying to please all your roommates, or you're trying to please all the people you work with. You create tons of unnecessary relationship grief. There's, there's multiple things that happen. There's violence, there's rage, there's money loving, there's family decay, there's idol and friendships, there's comparison, there's envy. There's all these different things that happen. But let me tell you the heartbeat behind all of this. When you become a people pleaser, you literally cannot carry out the basic commands of God. You can't be 50-50. I promise you, evaluate your life. If there's someone you are, you are living to please right now, I guarantee you, you are not pleasing God. There's no way to split it. Matthew 22, 36 through 40, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. That's the greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. How can you love God with all your heart and be divided and love somebody else so that you're trying to please them and make them happy so that, uh, so that like they, they're either your God. Jesus said it, you will only have one master. You cannot have two masters. He did not design humans to have split masters. You can only have one master. You can't follow God correctly, Matthew 26, 30, uh, Matthew 22, 36 through 40. You can't love correctly, 1 John 4. You can't decide correctly, James chapter 1. You can't spin correctly, Matthew chapter 6. You can't do any of those things correctly. And so I think the reason that God designed it this way is he wants us to make a decision. And to me, the decision is simple. Do you, and this is where I'm gonna land the plane. The decision is simple, do you trust the Lord to be true and take him at his word? Or do you trust the people? That is what it comes down to. When was the last time you had to disappoint someone 
in order to please the Lord. When was the last time you had to follow something you read in your Bible or heard in a sermon and you knew it was God, what God wanted, but it wasn't what your boss or your friends or, your, or the other people wanted? That's how you know you are doing your best. You're striving to please the Lord, which is the safe place and not man, which is the trap. Let me read these verses to you as we wrap up tonight. In the Matthew chapter 26, it's a, or Matthew chapter 10, I'm sorry, it's a great chapter. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 26, Jesus says something so interesting. He says, don't have fear of them. Jesus talks about fear of man multiple times. He says, don't have fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then Jesus, after giving those strong words, says some of the sweetest words that he says in the whole of his ministry. Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. The scariest thing about people-pleasing is that it can be an indicator that you do not have a regenerate life. You have not been born again. Because people-pleasing is a lifestyle that denies the Lord before men. Why would you deny the Lord before men when he would die for you? Who is it that is worth your sacrifice of him for them that would die for you? They'll all trade you in. And he traded himself in. Who else knows the number of hairs on your head? You are so valuable to him. And he gives you the freedom in him to say, I choose to quit looking around and I just want to look up. What great grace that offering is to us. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much that you keep your eyes on the sparrow. You know when one is born. You know when one falls. And we're so much more valuable than that, Lord. You've got your eye on us. Your heart is on us. You love us so much, Lord. You know the number of hairs on our head. Lord, give us the heart to turn to you and to follow you and not worry about what the others think, which is exhausting and debilitating and destructive. Because Lord, the fear of man lays a snare, but the fear of you is safety. Lord, help us to run to you, the only one who is safe. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.